This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Tour Society. Welcome to the live stream show. I'm Tracy Eddy and I've got Fran in Nashville. And today you are in for a special treat because we have a guest that we are so honored to have join us today. Her name is Courtney Barnes and she is a French teacher um, and I think English teacher too maybe um, okay. with St. Thomas Morscola in uh, Nash in the Nashville area. And she also has a blog called Black Catholic Pros. Uh, dot com. And she's joining us today to talk about uh, racism in America and racism um, and our faith and how our faith really impacts um, the way we look at, you know, culture and life and, and issues that sometimes we don't always want to talk about, but are important to talk about. So thank you, Courtney. And Courtney, you've, you've got like I was saying earlier, Courtney has was educated at Notre Dame. She's educated in France. She's lived in maybe lived in Africa or worked in Africa. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I will never do justice to all the beautiful places you've lived and worked and-, and Or say their names correctly. That's, <laughs> that's really what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm trying to give myself a little grace, but yeah. Sure, we could do a French lesson at the end if you'd like. Please um, do. So um, I did, I attended Notre Dame. Um, I graduated in 2006 with a degree in philosophy. And, um, and so after actually Notre Dame, I taught at Pope John Paul II High School here in Hendersonville. I taught theology. So that was probably one of the most pivotal moments actually in my journey because I studied philosophy. I was not originally interested in teaching, but I was interested in theology. So from teaching theology, that was kind of a moment where my love for teaching sparked. Okay. And then, um, oh, and to backtrack a little bit. So the service trip to Africa was a Notre Dame endeavor um, for a summer internship. And that was in Benin. And that was translation work. So that was another experience of just experiencing African culture as a black American is different. And it was another eye opening experience of what it is to be a black American um, versus an African immigrant. And then um, coming back, I actually discerned a religious vocation with our Dominican sisters here in Nashville another pivotal moment. So I would really honestly need a flow chart to kind of fill in all the spaces, but um, the long and short of it is um, through my studies and I think through these experiences, um, God has just really like put a desire on my heart to always have the Catholic church like at the center of my frame of reference um, as I just navigate different experiences. So have quite a discernment. Um, you had quite a discernment journey right <laughs> that's awesome well welcome welcome thank to the you. to the live stream and thanks for joining us and you and Fran know each other because you taught her children right 
Yes, no. actually, prior to Courtney being an instructor for one of my children at the tutorial, we were co-tutors at the tutorial, so we were <laughs> colleagues, and I think that's where I first met you, Courtney, and we had, I remember we were uh, talking about, I think, the philosophy and theology departments at Notre Dame. I think that was my question, like, <laughs> what's the inside story? Um, so I, I think that was one of our first um, interactions. I do want to say this, though, on the front end. Um, because I think it's a little bit maybe of an elephant in the room and it's good to like get that out of the way. Like uh, we, Bellator has been around for less than two years. Um, towards the beginning of that, Courtney and I did have a conversation about her participating in Bellator and like timing is all is key in everything. And so she hasn't participated um, in Bellator until now, but I don't want it to, to seem as though like, we're going to ask her to come and talk about racism as though you're, this is the first thought we've ever had of you. Like we have talked about it because you are such a strong, articulate, brilliant Catholic voice. Uh, you also happen to be black and you happen to be a woman. And so you have things to say about those particular perspectives, but we've been talking about you coming and I'm just so thankful that the timing is right now. And so we just really appreciate you joining us. No, thank you for addressing that, because I think it's so important to say that, like, when we have these conversations about race and culture, you know, we, we want to move beyond, like, the whole colorblind mentality that, like, it's obvious that I'm a black woman. <laughs> we should acknowledge that. And it's actually an asset, right? Like, I bring a perspective that people of European descent don't have. So, for especially for this conversation, it's the necessary starting point. A hundred percent. And Tracy and I mentioned that last week, kind of as everything was was bubbling to the surface and it became almost like inappropriate not to say something about it. But we were like, but what do we have to say? Like, we know that racism exists. Um, we know that it's evil. It's an objective evil. It's always wrong. The end. Like, that's it. But in order to speak authentically about the experience, we really do have to talk to someone who has had the experience of particular racism, like that, that they themselves have been, um, uh, they have felt the evil of prejudice and bigotry. And I would love to start there if that's okay with you. Like, can you tell us a little bit about your experience of particular racism and then perhaps your understanding of systemic racism? I would love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. So to begin, I'll start with particular and work to systemic. So I think the most striking experience that I have and that I've written about is that um, I was at a lecture for education, actually. It was about diverse learners, students who often have um, obstacles to their learning as far as a learning disability or even if their culture in some ways can become an obstacle. For instance, um, people of Hispanic descent who might not know English as the first language. So I was at this lecture and diversity in general came up and the lecturer who was a professor who actually had a graduate education and was teaching um, this lesson for all teachers, you know, she made a comment in passing that she said that, you know, in black, um, in black schools, or if you have black students in your school, you'll find that black culture doesn't value education. And that's why students don't perform as well. Black students don't perform as well. And so I was the only black educator in the room. And so I was immediately put in a position where not only did I have to represent my entire race, yeah. I had to correct an ignorance from an instructor, which also puts me as in a position of a subordinate, mm -hmm. you know, correcting the person who was giving the lecture. And it was just a harmful psychological experience, right? Like, why is it that I have to defend my culture when this should be like common knowledge in America, 
right? So, you know, I start, and I always start from history. So I raised my hand <laughs> and I said, you know, like, let's look at history. Let's look at the NAACP. Let's look at the fact that the first move that emancipated slaves made was to secure the, a right to education. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Brown v. Board. Let's look at the Arkansas Nine. Let's look at the fact that Black Americans actually sacrificed their lives to receive an education. So how harmful is it that, like, literally my grandparents sacrificed Where is the lack of value exactly? <laughs> exactly. So just the fact that why, why is it in, you know, that wasn't 2020. That was more like 2016. But why in 2016? Do we have to have this conversation? You know, why isn't this more part of the collective consciousness? Right. I think that gets to that systemic question of, you know, we often think, do black Americans have a slave mentality? Why are we always talking about slavery or bitter or frustrated? And I think that, you know, in 2020, we can say that most people aren't malicious. Um, when they interact with each other, but some people do have a culpable, culpable ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've encountered more than anything else in my journey. Um, and especially in like a work sphere. So as far as systemic racism, I've had bosses that have been ignorant and I've suffered the consequences of that. And that's directly tied to my income and my livelihood, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm put in a decision, I'm put in a position where all of a sudden I either have to correct my boss's ignorance or suffer economic consequences. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to interject right here a little uh, opportunity to distinguish or to dis to describe and define what culpable ignorance is, because I feel like that is kind of where we are all living right now. Like we should know better. That's what you know. It's it's you you used a, a theological and a ph philosophical term of culpable ignorance, meaning that you are responsible for being ignorant. There's some ignorance that like you, you can't do anything about. Like you you can't know that you know. But in terms of racism and, and social justice, like as Catholics, that is one of the tenets of our faith. Like we have to understand these issues of social justice. We are responsible as mature adult Catholics to know these things. And so that means just as we're responsible for understanding the Eucharist or other theological um, uh, things of our faith, like social justice is one of them. And if we kind of ignore that, then, then we are responsible for our ignorance. And I think that's what, what you were pointing to in terms of that, that mention of culpable ignorance. And so how do we educate ourselves? Right. Yeah, I think, again, going right back to American history is, is the starting point, because I think it's so important to, first of all, acknowledge, I think the first step in remedying culpable ignorance is acknowledging where is there a lack in education, mm -hmm. right? And there's actually a concept called compensatory history. When we talk about Black History Month, and people are very quick to say, oh, is Black History Month necessary? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's history should be celebrated. Right. Well, no. Why is there a Black History Month? It's because it's compensatory history. It's when the history books were written, we were still in the middle of the civil rights movement in a lot of ways, right? And we're still, you know, working to achieve justice. So sometimes we do have to backtrack and fill in the gaps. And that's what that endeavor is to do. So what do we see? A lot of people don't have knowledge beyond, you know, a third grade understanding of Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks. You know, do they know about W.E.B. Du Bois and the establishment of the NAACP? Do they know about Booker T. Washington? Do they know about Frederick Douglass? Do they know about 21st century figures like Brian Stevenson and Ta-Nehisi Coates? Everything did. You're saying really good things, but you're, you're <laughs> yeah, well, here, Tracy. 
We're going to get you back in just a second. We had some testing earlier that uh, we kept losing Courtney, but she always comes back. So we're just going to, we're going to keep going yeah. with it. We're going to, oh, yeah, as they say, in musical theater. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> so you were saying the 21st century is what yes, we our 21st century voices. I apologize. I live near a lake. So sometimes there's an in and out. But, um, the 21st century voices are relevant and they have made a valid contribution contribution, but many people haven't, you know, supplemented their education beyond the basics that they learned, right? So I think Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, is necessary reading. But even if you can't, um, you know, pick up the book, he has a TED Talk. Go watch the two-minute TED Talk, okay? Ta-Nehisi Coates, a wonderful author, um, Between the World and Myself, is his narrative. What is it like to be a Black man in America? Why are black men the subject of police brutality? And what kind of fear do black men live in? And why is that psychologically damaging mm -hmm. and harmful? You know, so can I learn about that? And again, if you don't want to read the whole book, he has a wonderful NPR um, video that you could Google. So I just, and I have actually the, a resource page on my blog that features all of Perfect. these um, people, but I just think you have to take the time and it's simple, just Google. <laughs> you know the just mercy didn't that movie just come out on i think netflix has it for free mm -hmm. right now if you yes. um, have you do you endorse that movie is it a good i haven't seen it okay to be honest. i haven't seen it yet i've just read the book and, and the ted talk i think would even be a place to start before um the movie but i'll definitely check it out in a little bit <laughs> awesome awesome and I think I think it's important also to say that Fran and I love having conversations and um we that's that's kind of why we started a Bellator Society because we talk about things all the time but I don't think that um I feel like I'm in a place to really um add lots of my opinion so I think to, it's going to be important I think to to state on the front end also that this is kind of a listening um exercise for us we want to hear from you we're going to ask you some questions but we really want to hear your opinions on on you know everything um you know that runs the gamut of of faith and race and you know culture and and hopefully we stay away from politics too much because i don't oh, think yeah. that that's necessarily <laughs> going to help um the conversation because we really are a, a, a catholic um organization so i just want to say that real quick because i'm just sitting here listening like nodding and yes well tracy <laughs> i'm really glad you brought that up because i think that's actually a segue into something that i wanted to share as well as as, as catholics I think that it can be tempting sometimes if you have a friend that's a black Catholic, especially in the South, when something like this happens to approach them and, and you know, to want to talk about it. But I think it's so important to not interrogate your black friends right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's because, you know, and I, I laugh about it, but it's very serious that the boy, you know, um, wrote in, if you, another thing to add to a reading list, um, of the souls of black folk, you know, chapter one of our spiritual strivings, it's available on Gutenberg Press, and I'll have a link to it on the blog. He talks about the psychological weight of black people constantly having to have a deeply personal discussion with, with people and making themselves vulnerable. It's literally psychologically damaging at times. So I, I'm so glad you brought that up because out of goodwill, right? Like, at church, we're not malicious. We love each other. So out of goodwill, you might want to approach a friend, but it could be very damaging. So I think it's so important to wait until people are ready to speak right. in dialogue or bring something to the table first. 
right? Like say, oh, you know what? I did Google this TED Talk from Brian Stevenson and it really changed my perspective. You know, like bring something to the table and that's an olive branch. And that actually is really comforting to people who sometimes feel alone in our church. That's so interesting because, you know, I think the fear is, do I mention it? Do I not mention it? I don't want to, I don't want to mention, I don't want to talk about it. And um, like you said, interrogate your friend and, and make somebody maybe relive things that are, are hard to talk about. But also you, from my perspective, I feel like, well, am I just ignoring it and turning a blind eye? Is that also um, wrong? <laughs> because I don't want to do the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Right. So I think, you know, step one is to make sure that you're, first of all, prayerfully consider it before you even open your mouth. I think it's a good rule of life for any Catholic, right? And then second of all, though, Tracy, I would say, you know, I would go at a time like this, at a time of crisis, I think that you have to say something because I think, again, in the South, I think we also have to identify that being a black Catholic in the South is a whole other animal than being a black Catholic in the Northeast or in the West Coast, right? right? And in the South, we're already a minority among Protestants, our brothers and sisters that are Protestant. And then to be a minority within a minority in the Catholic Church can feel very isolating. Mm-hmm. And so we do need an olive branch. You know, like it's so encouraging when my Catholic friends of European descent do say, hey, I care. I know you're suffering. I know your culture is being targeted. I know about this and you are my sister in Christ. So like, I'm here with you, you know? Right. Yeah. I do want to ask operationally if this is a good idea. I was talking to my mom uh, last week, I think it was. Um, and she has a friend, black friends who she talks to regularly, not, not about any race things, but like they're just friends. So they talk about things, but she said that, um, she specifically after all of this has sort of, you know, again, bubbled to the surface, she just asked them kind of point blank, you know, tell me what you want me to know. Like what, and, and I don't know, like, is that the right, is, are those words correct? I, it was received very well. And she got some stories and some insight that she was like, I was like, uh, like really taken, uh, not aback, but like surprised that this was their experience because, you know, this is something that I never heard before, but is it, a, is it, would you consider it interrogating or would you consider it appropriate to say that sort of thing? Like, tell me what I don't know. Like, uh, tell me as much as you want me to know so that I can be educated so that I can have some perspective that I didn't have before. Do you think that is, what, what, yeah. what is the right way? I think it depends. And I, the preface I always give is, first of all, these are my opinions, but I, I always want to be careful not to speak for my people, right? <laughs> like, what I think is not going to be what everybody thinks. Sure. Um, but I think the analogy I often use is that, you know, is imagine that you're at a funeral, because I think that's kind of the weight of the grief that yeah. black people are experiencing right now. So imagine that you're at a funeral. What is your level of proximity to the people that are mourning? You know, if you have a close enough friendship to the people that are mourning, that you can then ask them questions of like, what was your last memory of like Mm -hmm. the person that you lost? You know, if you're that close, then yes. But if you are a friend of a friend or an acquaintance, then I think that's too delicate because again, it's like you're asking me to be very vulnerable and to open up my heart and I will do that in the right context with the right relationship. Mm -hmm. But we have to have some level of intimacy before I think that's appropriate. 
Oh, that's, that's beautiful. We just had that conversation on the podcast last week with uh, Father Baker about that, that, that intimacy. Like you can't know too much until you have established the appropriate context for that exactly. information because not everybody has the right to all the information as right. well. Yeah. And that's such a, it's a, it's a delicate, it's a very delicate thing to navigate. Um, I was thinking about this too, actually, as I was dusting the house the other day, <laughs> you mentioned that the, this level of grief or mm -hmm. this, this, um, this feeling of grief and, and, you know, mentioning that, you know, it, it's one thing to talk to where, where, where do you fall in that, that circle of intimacy and, you know, what is appropriate to say? And you, I mean, you said almost exactly what I was thinking in terms of like, those of us who have had a family member die very close to us. Um, if someone else that we know, like Tr Tracy's mom died, right? And my brother died. Tracy can say something to me about grief or about the loss of someone. And it falls in a very different place than if, you know, someone who has no mm -hmm. idea of what that kind of grief feels like. And so yeah. when, when you said that, my mind went immediately, like people who have the experience of perhaps racism can, can speak to you about racism and vice versa in a way that like, the white people can't because we don't have that experience. Like we can't right. say certain things, even if we hear it in the black community, we can't say those things because it's not our experience in the same way that as a mourning person, if you say something and you're not mourning, it doesn't fall in a good place for me Amen. to hear it. And that is so hard to discern, but I think that that's an important, at least to be aware of. And thank you for acknowledging that because I think it's so important too to even, I think some people, um, are not yet aware of how different the experience is for black Americans in 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people just assume that we're all American or we're all Catholic and we're all okay. Um, but every black American has had people look at them and see color first and person second. Yes. Every single black American. So you're 100% right. Like because of that, we actually have a fellowship among each other. And it's funny, we even, you know, people even joke about it. Like we say, you know, at the last black people meeting, but there is an understanding. There is. And, you know, and there's even like public acknowledgement, you know, like I smile intimately when I see black people in public spaces because we have an understanding and we have a common journey that we travel. Yeah. And we understand that a little bit as Catholics in the South. You referred exactly. to that earlier. Like there's the same thing like, oh, I see that you're wearing a crucifix. I, yes. I get it. You're part of the club. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. um, and again, share what you want to share or we can move forward about your experience as uh, in the church as a yes. black Catholic, because this is a, a funny thing. I went to a, um, a luncheon, I guess it was about a year ago. And, um, and I think there are a lot of actually mutual friends who were at this luncheon, but there was one black woman who was there. And I don't know if she had converted yet. I don't think she had yet converted to Catholicism but she was in our CIA and someone just asked the question like, um, you know, well, what made you attracted to the Catholic church, you know, or were there any obstacles? And her comment was so funny. She said something to the effect of, well, I didn't even know black people could be Catholic. Like, right. that, you know, right. isn't that, I mean, that, yeah. I mean, we all laughed because it was mm -hmm. kind of funny and she said it as though it were a joke, but it's kind of not a joke. No, it's not. Well, I and I, that. right. So and, and to give a little bit of my background, so, 
I'm a cradle Catholic, but my mother's a convert and she's from Louisiana. So um, even though, you know, her experience was Southern Catholic as well, Louisiana is so deeply Catholic in, you know, parishes instead of counties that she didn't have even the same experience that I've had in Nashville. And we've dialogued about that, that to be a black cradle Catholic in Nashville, I refer, I literally refer to myself as a unicorn because I'm a minority within a minority. And I think, again, I love to go back to history to point out why that is. You know, there was actually a Benedictine monk named Father Cyprian Davis, who actually did a chronicle of how did churches pop up in the South during Reconstruction um, post-emancipation. And what happened was slave owners often had a church associated either with their plantation, right? Mm -hmm. And so that it, it started right with Reconstruction that there was this division. And, and so I think that we have to look at it as part of like, again, that nasty history of the South is why it seems like there are so many Protestant churches, first of all, and then a minority of Catholic churches. And then within that, you know, segregation within churches that way. And I think part of it also is that, um, you know, fast forwarding through history, especially with the civil rights movement, when, when churches were being desegregated, right? Um, that is a, a really Catholic moment in history, even though there, everybody wasn't on the same page. The church at large did do an excellent job of saying, you know, our official stance is racism is a sin and our churches need to be integrated, right? And so when Catholic churches, um, you know, refused to segregate, though, there became kind of a division in uh, a lot of, um, black communities where black men wanted to be ministers and they felt like they wanted to then gravitate towards you know more protestant religions where they could have a segregated black church mm -hmm. and then be the minister and leader of their community and from that actually arose the civil rights movement right mm -hmm. like dr king was a protestant minister so that's where the divide comes from is that black people um really insulated a little bit um rightfully so to to build up the community to fight this fight for justice and so the church was kind of a part of the the building ground for that but i think it's important to know that history because then again it's not like you know catholics of european descent you know, we're making deliberate decisions to force black people out. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, I think we also have to ask ourselves a question of, has there been a deliberate action to then compensate for that moment in history? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is fascinating. I had no idea about churches being attached to different plantations in the South. And is that why they call it the Bible Belt? Is that where so many Protestant churches in the South because of that? That's that's so interesting. I'm from South Arkansas, by the way, Courtney. So I'm, I live in Arizona, but I'm from the Arkansas, Louisiana. You know border, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, and so, and of course, France from Louisiana too. So very interesting. Mm -hmm. I do want to go back really quickly to the idea of uh, black Catholic churches and, mm -hmm. and uh, European Catholic churches, because actually we did have like, you know, this sort of ghetto mentality in terms of like big cities like Philadelphia or Chicago or all these places where you had your, like your Polish Catholic church, your German Catholic church, your, like there were, there, there were distinctions, ma distinctions made among the, the, the Catholic community based on where your family came from. Mm -hmm. And, and part, of that probably different in terms of race but but we still do have black catholic churches what are your yeah. thoughts about that are they are they useful or are they um are they um 
is it mentable? Like, yeah, like, what do we think about that? Because I have heard recently people saying, you know, what, oh, I think it was Father um, uh, Josh Johnson who said, maybe it was with uh, Jeff Cavins or Father Mike Schmitz, I can't remember which one, but basically said, you might think about going to one of the black Catholic churches, you know, you white people, you might think about going to, to, try to engage with the culture that you're not familiar with. What do you think about yeah. it? Yeah, I think that it's, it's necessary, but it, it gets at a deeper philosophy of assimilation versus acculturation, right? Like in a certain sense, sometimes a culture, especially a minority culture and an environment where we're still seeking justice does have to insulate yeah, in order protective. To, to be protective. Exactly. Yeah. However, in order to build bridges, you know, at some point you do have to go back out. So like personally, I believe we should have both. I think that you, you have to have black Catholic churches, but I think you have to have movement, more movement between both churches. And like, for instance, my family's philosophy was I grew up um, in the old Hickory area. I went to elementary school at Holy Rosary. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a, a very, um, you know, predominantly white school because my parents had a very strong assimilation mentality of mm -hmm. society won't change unless we're in there and people see us and see our gifts and talent. Mm -hmm. So go. <laughs> yeah. and, and we were shoved. Um, and so <laughs> lovingly shoved. Yeah, well, all parents do. Push out the nest with a firm, you know, so you know, there, but in, in some ways, you know, my heart thirsted for um, an environment where people looked like me yeah. and understood me. And so when I became older, I started going to a St. Vincent. And so I find myself just going from time to time because I do think that at some point, um, I, I think there's value to worshiping in my community and my culture and having not that divide. And the, the goal is one day there won't be that divide, but I think we have to be very realistic that we're taking baby steps in that direction. And so we do need some extra support while we're moving in that direction. What does that support look like? Because that's where, I think that's where my heart is like, I, and I appreciate baby steps. And I think you're right. But I think for we're women and we're problem solvers. And like, I want to, I want something tangible that I can do, you know, in my family or in my, you know, faith community. Like what, what do baby steps look like? What are one or two baby yeah. steps? Well, step one is prayer, right? Like everything we do as people of faith and that people who live a sacramental life, it starts in prayer. And so I think that, you know, one of my favorite black Catholic speakers is Gloria Purvis of EWT and Morning Glory, right? Like she's my idol. <laughs> Did you see her when she came here last year? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Isn't it, wasn't it wonderful? <laughs> so um, one thing she says when she dialogues with um, black and, and white Catholics is she says, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So if we're having a, a conversation and we're asking for prayer intentions, we can pray for the unborn and we can pray for black Americans who are suffering. We, we don't have to choose, right. you know? And I think as Catholics, step one is integrate into our prayer life. Um, this issue, you know, integrate the race issue into your prayer life because people are suffering. Right. And, you know, as far as like my personal reflection, what I always go back to is Genesis and Cain and Abel, right? Like this is, uh, this is part of original sin. People have been fighting since creation. Brothers have been fighting since creation. But what did God say? You know, he said, you are your brother's keeper. Like yeah, right. so show solicitude and prayer is the first place to do that. So I think step one is be very serious about adding um, racial justice and reconciliation to your prayer regimen. 
And step two is, okay, seriously consider what does reconciliation look like? Because as I think Catholics, we're not looking for just justice. Justice is part of it, but we're looking for reconciliation. That's rebuilding a relationship, and that's that motion from God, right? Like that vertical motion. So what does that look like? That looks like, what are my relationships like? Do I have ideas in my mind that I'm ashamed to admit? Mm -hmm. Like it's time to confront them. Um, When my friends- We have a sacrament for that, by the way. Right? (laughs) I love it. And when my friends say things, do I speak up, you know? And so I think it's the step two is that personal challenge of, you know, examine just as uh, Fran was saying, examine your, with your examination of conscience, Mm -hmm. examine your mindset, and then be that avenue of change in your sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence, right? Mm -hmm. And especially if you um, are a person of European descent and you, let's be honest, if you do live in a space that's mostly what we call white faces, okay? Then be an agent of change in that space. And, and, you know, make sure that you're not um, silent if, uh, if someone is saying something that is offensive or ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, or even for the positive, okay, you know, maybe you're not in a space where people are saying something offensive or ignorant, mm-hmm. but do you have, you know, a nugget of truth to share of like, hey, you know what, I'm watching the news, I see everything that's going on, and I think that there are a lot of beautiful pieces of black culture that people don't know about. Do I know about them? Can I share them with my friends in terms of black film, black art, black literature? You know, one of my huge soapboxes is John Paul II talks about how art is how we get to know a culture. Are we consuming black art? You know, like if we're going to fall in love and rebuild a relationship, we have to consume, you know, those pieces of beauty that God gave us from a particular culture. And we as Catholics, just as you said, I mean, it was a, it was a, a, a thought of John Paul II, but we as Catholics know this just pervasively. That's why we have beautiful churches. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we have icons. Like an icon is a window into heaven. It's, it's into the eternal. And, you know, do we have depictions of black Catholic saints? You know, in our churches, mm-hmm. like that's something mm-hmm. that oh, I hadn't thought about that really, you know, seriously until very recently. And I thought, well, goodness gracious, we really don't like And, you know, of course, we have the beautiful stories of Josephine Bakita and uh, St. Martin de Porres. But like, who are the other black Catholic sayings that we need to know about? Like, I'm asking you specifically. Yes. Who are the ones that you look to that you're like, you, you need these people in your in your church family. You need these people right. in your life. Who can we pray to? And Black American saints, that's what I also speak to as well, because again, like you said, Bikita and Martin Deportes are so important. And of course, Martin Deportes is South American. But if we're talking about our continent and our struggle, we need Black American saints. And the truth is they haven't been canonized yet. No. But who, who we're looking at right now is Sermon of God, Augustus Tolton, right? Like the first Black priest um, to be ordained for America. He's actually ordained in Rome for America because um, America wasn't ready to ordain him. He was a a serious victim of discrimination. Um, And so Augustus Tolson has to be number one. And I think that, um, to get back to your point, Tracy, too, can be an action point for all of us as Catholics. We need his cause. Um, We need to pray for his cause, and it needs to happen. It needs to happen now. And, and, oh, my gosh, black Catholics have been praying for him for, like, decades. Yes. That's awesome. Okay. Come on, boys. Come on. I am now. (laughs) So Augustus Tolton, number one. But there are others. There's Sister Thea Bowman, who was um, a religious sister. 
Um, and there are actually several religious sisters who were um, a, who were associated with the Josephite order. Um, and so, and I feature them on my blog as well. So I don't have all their names on the tip of my tongue, but um, I think black American saints have to be a focal point for us. And again, um, to go back to your point too, Fran, is that that's also how we win converts, right? Like the reason why people think they're not allowed to be Catholic is because right. they don't see their culture and their faith represented in our churches or, you know, on the stained glass window or in our stories or celebrated, right? And so the more that we can bring that to the forefront, people will say, not only did I feel welcome and understood in, the, in a Catholic church, I would feel appreciated. And my, yeah. people would see my beauty in a, in a Catholic church. Yeah. I love that. These, I mean, fantastic. We need to learn these people's stories. I have them written down and we might even need to do like a live stream or a podcast on their stories just specifically. So maybe, Amen. maybe you might come back and talk <laughs> a little bit more about what you know, because obviously you know more than you do in that regard. But um, we're going to be closing up the live stream, moving on to the, the podcast uh, very soon. I just want to say for everybody who's watching, if you have any questions for Courtney that you would like to have addressed, um, if, if she's willing and able to answer them, we might do that on the podcast. So if you want to put that in the comments of our, um, of our live stream now, then we can present those to her or even let her respond via the blog. If you want to do that, Courtney, I don't want to commit you to anything. But there might be questions that other people have that we haven't asked here. And I'd like to, you know, at least put them on the table if they're addressable. Um, but as we close up, Trey, did you have one more thing to say? Well, I wanted to talk, so, so we talked about the, the saints, but, and you talked about art, and I think that's part of Bellator Society's mission is to bring, mm -hmm. you know, truth, beauty, and goodness, because it's, it's kind of a common language. We all like beautiful things. We all are searching for the truth. Um, do you have a favorite Black artist that you, um, especially, or specifically Catholic, any Catholic artists that do beautiful Catholic work, um, I, there's actually a local, um, I, I'm sorry, I don't have a Catholic one, I'll have to look one up. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but. <laughs> there is a local artist that I love named James Threadkill, um, and he does, I can, I can share a link maybe um, via you all, um, he does beautiful art of important figures of civil rights history. Um, and you can actually find him in North Nashville. There are a lot of treasures in North Nashville, of course, which, um, you know, I always do the plug for North Nashville. That was his civil rights history right here in our backyard. Yeah. So many important battles were won in North Nashville. And so um, there are beautiful art museums on Jefferson Street. If you haven't checked out art museums on Jefferson, Jefferson Street, you should do so. And there's a Jefferson Street art crawl that has a lot of these local artists and James Threadkill is one of them. Um, but I would have to say he's my number one for sure. <laughs> I love lo supporting local. That's good. <laughs> me too. Me too. So we are going to close up the live stream, but I just, I just want to ask one more question and it's actually kind of two parts. What are the best things that we can do apart from prayer, like actionable things that we can do today? And then what is not helpful to the discourse? What are things that we need to be like, that's not super important, or that's not helpful, or actually that's destructive? What would you say if you had to, and I, I mean, you can give us one, you can give two, three, whatever, just tell us what you think. What are our action items and what are things that we need to avoid? Sure. I'll, I'll start with the um, not helpful and end with the positive. Yeah, cheer us up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what's not helpful is any spirit of resistance 
to uh, the pursuit of justice right now. I think, you know, what can't be said enough is that like civil rights in America was not ushered in with like this unanimous spirit of agreement, right? There was resistance. And I think what um, a lot of black people are feeling right now, and it's, it's really harmful and hurtful, is that like when we try to have these conversations, um, a lot of people will then, you know, throw up those political banners and, and resist you know, a notion that change does need to happen, you know, and it might be, for instance, I'll give a very specific example. When we're talking about, for instance, reforming police, um, a lot of people have police in their families, which as do I. And so all of a sudden, if a black person is saying, you know, someone died and we need justice for a murder, if the first thing out of your mouth is we have to support the police, Okay, listen, we all love and support our police. We get it. However, someone died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's something we can do about that. So I think what's not helpful is to throw out like those political sound bites or any resistance to what's mm -hmm. being said. Even if you don't agree, mm -hmm. can you, and again, being mindful of what happened in American history, could you listen first? Yeah. If you don't agree, and maybe hold your tongue. <laughs> Isn't um, that true? The virtue of silence is something mm -hmm. that I feel is very overlooked in our society just in general. Like we're so quick to type it, to record it, to make it, you know, uh, make our voices heard. And I really do feel like it is an act of humility. It is, it is a practice of humility just to be quiet for a little bit. Well, and if you start a conversation with disagreement, it's, it's dead. <laughs> it's, yes. you know, it's not going to go anywhere. So, so that's not very helpful at all. Right. And then for the action piece, you know, I'm just going to go to back to what we said earlier with, I think being that um, positive voice in your sphere of influence is really where we have to start. I think that a lot of people of European descent don't understand like how much power you have. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't understand, you know, how much power you have just in your friends and in your community and in your circle. So again, I think the greatest action point you can have is to go back and take a closer look at history or black art or a black saint. And the next time that you're in a room full of people who look just like you, speak about it. Because I think what's so hard is that it's like black people get on our soapbox and talk about our culture and, and all this. It's so much more powerful from a peer in the same way that I need my peers. And that's why I go to St. Vincent's from time to time. Your peers need you and they need to hear from you about how valuable other cultures are. And I think, you know, that's how this actually is really a Catholic moment in history, though, is because we know that, right? Like we know that God gave us saints. And he gave us um, a church that is in, you know, worldwide in many different cultures. Why? Because culture is a gift, a revelation of, of God's beauty. And so we need to be speaking about that in our circles of like, okay, you know, why is black beautiful? We hear that catchy slogan, but why do I know? Can I speak about it? Yeah, I love that because I think that what you're saying is we need to elevate the conversation at all times about mm -hmm. racism, about the, the whole ethos of human dignity in general. And it's not enough just to not say anything that brings people down, but really our, our objective as Christians in the world is always to like virtue. It's always above the baseline, above the, the you know, catch net. Like we're not just a C, not yeah. just a C. We want above average. Exactly. <laughs> and if we, can, if we can all just lean into that a little bit and figure out how we are elevating the conversation, how we are practicing virtue in our daily lives. Um, I mean, 
you said it better than I did. So oh. thank you. <laughs> thank you all for this time. It is a treasure and a gift. Yes. Thank you so much. So now, as we have announced, um, I think on our last podcast, we are now moving all of our uh, live stream. We finished it on the podcast. So uh, Courtney is so gracious with her time and has agreed to, to join us on the podcast. So if you enjoy this conversation, you are not going to want to miss the podcast because we've got something special in store that we're going to uh, jump on over there on that uh, platform and, and record it. And so we'll release it Friday as usual. And we just appreciate your time and and for everybody watching, again, if you've got any questions, you might want to type them in real quick and that way we can um, maybe address a couple of those on the podcast. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So good to see Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.